Welcome to the NTTM podcast, in fact, the fifth NTTM podcast. My name is Steve McCormack, and our topic today is books, more specifically books that maths teachers have found helpful in their role as teachers, and maybe also enjoyable to read as well. Why books, you might be asking? Well, because at the end of January, we devoted the weekly Twitter chat, hashtag MathCPDChat, to this topic, books. And you teachers out there came up with almost 40 different books that you'd found useful. You can find the complete list on the show page of this podcast. And what a range they were. Old books, new books, math-specific ones, and quite a few that are aimed just at teachers of anything generally. With me here in the studio is Martin Yeo, primary school teacher who hosted that Twitter chat back in January. Martin, hi. And, uh, you know, where do you work? What sort of a teacher are you? Yeah, so I'm a primary school teacher. I work at Whitestone Infant School, which is a three-form entry school up in Nuneaton. Uh, I've been teaching for 12 years now and uh, I'm the maths lead. And, yeah, enjoy a bit of social media. And uh, then I found the, the maths Twitter chat and uh, sort of gave some ideas and next thing you know, you were hosting a chat about books. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting, though. So many people came up with so many great ideas. So give us a flavour, a, a sort of a summary. We can't mention all 40 books, of course. <laughs> give us a flavour of the sorts of books that got mentioned during that chat. Yeah, well, like you said, we had some that were really re- recent and relevant now. Um, but then we've got some timeless classics as well, which I know we're going to hear about later on. Um, we had some that were very focused on primary. Uh, Math through stories mentioned quite a few of their own that they uh, highlight as well. And then we had uh, people talking about specific ones for primary teachers, like Maths Explained for Primary Teachers. Uh, Then we had other ones that were secondary-based, like uh, Maths Medicine. Someone came up with that with lots of practical ideas in there. Uh, And then we had some that were just people enjoyed just reading, like in the summer, when you like to uh, have a little summer read, like uh, A Mathematician's Apology or A Mathematician's Lament, which sounded great. Uh, And then, of course, we had some that were not even uh, maths-based as well. So what about you yourself? What have you found useful reading in your role as a primary teacher? You work in an infant school, don't you? I do, yeah. And so recently I've been uh, recommended uh, Making Numbers from Oxford University Press. Um, Really easy, simple book, because when you're so busy with life you need something that's quick and easy you can dip into and uh, this it just helps you understand manipulatives in the classroom so it's not just for the the younger children it starts off with numbers 0 to 12 then it moves all the way up to up to 200 and over so that if you are working in a primary school you're able to continue using manipulatives throughout the school and not just with the younger children so for me it's been change the way I've sort of looked at some of the ways I teach things. And have you had an influence with your fellow teachers in your school? You're the maths lead in your school, aren't you? Do you try to get them to read books or to think about uh, dipping into a book every now and then? Definitely. It's, it's difficult. Everyone's got their own sort of flag they're trying to wave in the staff room and say, don't forget about this. So I think things like this podcast, where you can direct people and say, hey, why don't you listen to this, rather than if you haven't got the time to read a whole book, um, people seem to have half an hour to spare to to catch a podcast okay great well thanks let's uh we've got two other people knowledgeable about math teaching and books joining us uh today on the podcast and the first is ben gordon a secondary school math teacher and uh, lead practitioner at a secondary school in blackpool hi ben hi so um why why did you start to read more books about math teaching ben 
Um, well, uh, our director for teaching and learning um, went on maternity leave, which meant that I sort of stepped up to look after whole school teaching and learning. And uh, over summer, um, I read Making Every Lesson Count by um, Sean Allison and Andy Farby. And as I was reading it, it made me realise um, <laughs> how incompetent I was, really. Um, I think I worked out before that, on average, um, teachers spend 741 hours a year in the classroom. And if I actually look back now at some of the things that I used to do, um, I would probably say a lot of that time in my last nine years of teaching has, has been wasted, really. So um, I, I don't want to teach from my intuition anymore. I want to make sure that everything that I'm doing ha has a purpose and is, is um, evidence-informed. Um, and I think the other thing that, that reading books does as well is it, it allows you to zoom out. Um, when you were, I've worked in the same school now for, for nine years and um, you're constantly surrounded by the same people who probably have the same um, biases and it's just made me question absolutely everything. Um, I also think it humbles you a little bit as well. Uh, there's a, there's a Dunning-Kruger effect, which means that we're actually very poor judges um, of our ability. Um, and I think Dunning and Kruger have <laughs> slapped me in the face quite a few times over the past few months because it just made me realise how how little I know and how much more there is to know about our job. So after you read that first one, that's inspired you to read more, has it? Yeah, I've read, uh, let me just see, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, I'm on my seventh now since September, yeah, so I'm a bit of a bit of a junkie at the moment. Wow. That's pretty good, seven, uh, since September. Okay, so we'll get you to mention a few of those uh, uh, individually in a moment, but let's kick off with one that you've read relatively recently that's uh, made an impression on you. Well, the the most recent one, the one that I'm currently reading at the moment, which, which I think is... Um, going to be one of the most impactful books on maths education in particular um, is, is Craig Barton's new book, How I Wish I'd Taught Maths. Um, I'm a massive fan of Craig and his work ever since I started teaching at 21. Um, I've always used his websites um, and more recently um, been listening to his podcasts in my car um, when I'm marking my books, things like that. They're really, really useful. And um, this book has all of those podcast conversations um, and more. Um, and what, what I want from a book, really, is I, is I want to know that the person that's writing it is, is really, really well informed um, and has been informed from, from lots of different sources. Um, but I think more importantly, we want some practical advice. Um, we, we get bombarded by theories and, and um, ideologies. And, and what we want to know is, that sounds great, but what, what can I actually do on a Monday morning or a Friday period five when I've got year 10 bottom set bouncing off the walls? Um, and what I love about Craig's book is that it's really, really practical. It's, it goes into incredible detail. Um, there's, there's maths in there as well. It's not just talking in sort of generalities. Um, and then it summarizes at the end sort of three takeaways um, from each sort of subsection that you can then summarize to another member of staff. Um, now, to, to big it up even more, I would say, I would probably say that every single math teacher in the country needs to be purchased this by their school or go out, out and buy it themselves. Okay, um, uh, just hold it I there, Ben. Think... Yeah. Okay, just hold it there, Martin. You're a primary teacher. Have you come across Craig Barton's book? Oh yeah, it's it's huge at the moment. All over Twitter, everyone's talking about it, showing photos about it. Relevant to primary teachers as well. Uh, I must admit, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, and and find the practical okay, ideas well, in it. We'll ask Ben. You, do you sense that it might be good for primary teachers as well as secondary teachers? 
Yeah, yeah, because it's got it's got um, underpinning principles. Um, you know, th- there are topic specific things that he talks about, but the the, the good thing about principles is that they, they should work all the time, uh, no matter what key stage you're at, um, because it's it's backed up by um, cognitive science and and what the experts say. So I would definitely say primary school teachers could read it as well. Okay, right. Here's the big surprise in this podcast. We actually have the author of that book, Craig Barton, on the line, otherwise known as Mr. Barton Maths. Hello, Craig. Hi, you all right? Yeah, fine, thanks. Um, are you happy with what you've just heard about your book? <laughs> I mean, it could have been awkward, that. If <laughs> it could have been awkward. It off, I was hanging yeah. up straight away there, but I'm thinking of hiring Ben as my PR man. Yeah, so yeah, on not the bad. Road here, yeah. yeah, that was very kind, Ben. I, I really, really appreciate that. Thanks so much for your kind words there. So, uh, on a serious note, Craig, uh, would you regard your book, we'll get, we'll get to how, how you wrote it a, a little bit, uh, as just as good for primary teachers, just as relevant, useful uh, as, as for secondary teachers? It's it's a really tricky one. I I don't like to make any claims um, outside of kind of what I know. And I'm by no means an expert on secondary uh, maths, as I found out kind of writing the book. But I definitely am not an expert at all when it comes to primary. So I I put like a little disclaimer in in the introduction saying I don't know if this is going to work or be of any use whatsoever um, for primary colleagues. But I've been kind of overwhelmed by, by the messages on Twitter and email and when I've been given talks by primary colleagues saying that, they're finding it incredibly useful. So I don't want to make any promises, but um, the, the feedback so far is, uh, has been that it's quite transferable across the key stages. Great. And the title, How I Wish I'd Taught Maths, implies that you did an awful lot wrong when you started teaching maths. And as a result of all your research, podcasts, reading yourself, you've, you've changed your teaching. Is that fair? Yeah, it's, it's 100% right. It was quite a depressing affair try, writing the book, actually, because it, it was kind of facing up to, to all the mistakes I have made. But, but the weird thing was, Steve, that at the time, I didn't think I was making mistakes. Like, I, I thought I was doing all right. My results were good. The kids seemed, seemed to be enjoying my lessons. Everything seemed to be going fine. But it was when I, um, when I started my podcast um, a couple of years ago, um, and I started speaking to, to different people, I was... I was just kind of blown away by the different approaches and, and the way they thought about their lessons. And I think I was kind of cruising on autopilot for quite a few years, just doing things because I'd always done them that way and because I just assumed it was right. So when I spoke to the likes of Dylan William and Bruno Reddy and Dan Mayer from the US and Chris Bolton, it just got me questioning absolutely everything that, that I'd done before. And, and then even like non-math teachers, so Daisy Christodoulou and Robert Elizabeth Bjork and Doug Lemoff, just principles from cognitive science that, that I thought, well, actually, that, that's directly applicable to math. So I started questioning literally everything I'd done. I started reading all the works, all the papers and books that my guests had, had written. And also, I always asked my guests to recommend a book every single episode. And I, I made sure I read that. And in the end, I read about probably 200 papers and about 40 books, I think. And then I just started thinking, right, there's too much information here. I need to get everything summarized down. So I started making notes of all the different areas of my teaching that I thought that this could impact. And the book was kind of a, a result of that, if, if that makes sense. It certainly does. Right, we've got our four guests now, or rather three guests plus me. I'm the least knowledgeable person in this quartet. <laughs> so let's see whether we can uh, rattle through as many as we can uh, books that got mentioned, find out why, that, why they're good in your views, and maybe a little flavour of, uh, of some of them. So back to Ben. Uh, any other books you'd like to mention, Ben? Um, yeah, I think um, math-specific, um, Ed Southall's uh, Yes But Why?, um, from a subject knowledge point of view, it's got it's got everything in there from um, 
where the names of the months of the year came from, um, all the way through to sort of visual representations of completing the square. And um, on a project that I'm currently working on for um, year five to eight transition, uh, we actually bought every um, member of our sort of cluster um, this book to sort of look after the subject knowledge and, and improve it. So um, I would say that's really, really useful for, for a maths teacher, yeah. That came out last year. Uh, Craig, did you manage to draw on that for your book, which came out this year? Yeah, I did, and I was lucky enough to interview Ed a couple of times, actually. And it's, it's interesting, we, we disagree on a couple of things, but um, yeah, his, his, his book's been, been very influential. I'd, I'd certainly uh, recommend it as well. Okay. Any others then? What about a suggestion from some of you about a book not specifically written with maths teachers in mind, but nevertheless, evidence has shown maths teachers have found it useful? I'd like to put a shout out to um, When the Adults Change, Everything Changes, which is just to do with uh, behaviour management. It's written by Paul Dix. And um, that's a book that I've read recently, which, again, behaviour management, it does relate to every classroom. And I often dealt with things just from my intuition. And I think behaviour management training is, is often poor um, or, or non-existent um, uh, during teacher training. Um, and that offers really, really good practical advice for leaders and, and teachers that they can use on a Monday morning. We had a, 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 a Twitter chat this week, uh, and I'm talking to you in the, the 20s of uh, February right now, on exactly that, behaviour management in maths lessons, math-specific behaviour management, so you can find that on the NCTM website. Uh, any others, any other, for the moment, non-maths-specific books which people have found useful? Uh, yeah, I've, I've got one. I'll just, just to back yep. up uh, what Ben said, then I'm, I'm reading uh, When the Adults Change, literally just at this, this moment, and it's um, absolutely phenomenal. I know Ben's going to say what's been a, a book that's going that's to game change for both of us, so I won't cut in and, and nick his thunder with that one. But another one I'd say that's, that's kind of started the ball rolling for me is um, Seven Myths of Education by, by Daisy Christodoulou. And what that really did for me was question, it, it started to say it's, it's absolutely fine to to question practices that you've always done. And indeed, we should all be questioning what, why we do things. And it, it takes quite a critical look at Ofsted, um, but also saying that it's it, it's not wrong for teachers to be talking a lot in lessons, which I was kind of brought up on a diet where it should kind of be students leading the learning and, and the teacher taking a back seat and so on. And that was the first book that made me stop and think, actually perhaps that's not necessarily true so i think that's an absolutely wonderful book for, for any teacher of any subject so you mentioned a game changer ben and craig you you sort of alluded to it so what is this game changer you, you you've read ben um the one that i would recommend for for everyone to read would be why don't students like school by um daniel willingham who is um a professor of psychology um the university of virginia i believe um and what this has is nine uh, cognitive principles um that sort of underpin uh, how children learn and how we should adapt our teaching to uh, bear that in mind and what's good about his nine principles is he at the end of the book says that he has four reasons um why he chose them and there was lots of other principles that didn't fit the bill because they didn't meet these four criteria. So the first one was that the nine principles are true all of the time, even in a laboratory, classroom, in a group, or, or individually. Um, they're based on large data sets. 
um, not just one or two studies. Um, if you choose to ignore them, then that will have a significant impact um, on the progress of your students. And he really wanted, and this is the big one for me, to make it clear how somebody could actually use those principles. So after every chapter, he has um, sort of classroom applications. Um, so it, it is written with teachers in mind. But not math specific. Not math specific, but... Um, those nine principles underpin how children learn, and um, when, when you've when you've got your teacher head on and you're reading these things, you, you'll you will have your maths head on, and you'll be thinking all the time, right? Well, how can I relate that to my teaching? And I know reading through Craig's book, I've I've read um, a number of chapters that interest me at the moment. Um, you know, a lot of Daniel Willingham's work is is in Craig's book as well. I'm sure you'll agree it's been a, a game changer for you, Craig. Oh, it has. Absolutely. It was yeah, an absolutely wonderful book. And, and just to, to go back to the point about teachers not having time, um, there's a wonderful summary article um, of, of the book that I, I linked to on, on my website. But if you just Google it, if you just Google why don't students like school uh, PDF sample from Daniel Willingham, that's, I think it's only maybe four pages long, but it, it really gives a flavour of the book for, for, for the time busy teacher. So I'd, I'd recommend listeners check that out. And, and so, sorry, Steve, can I recommend just a You can. Thing? Yeah, please. Is that, is that all right? Um, this, this, I'm saying this has been my favourite book that I've, I've read in kind of the last four months and, and like, like Ben I'm ploughing through loads at the moment because I'm a bit of an addict but it's called Practicing Mathematics and it's from the ATM and it's by Tom Francom and, and Dave Hewitt and it is just I, I cannot tell you how good it is it, it, it's not it's the, the first kind of probably five or ten pages of it are the kind of theory behind um, the, the design of the tasks um, that they, they talk about in the rest of the book. And it's built on the principles of this kind of variation theory in there. But also what I describe in the book, as, uh, in my book, as purposeful practice. So it's it's making sure kids are fluent at the basic skills but in a meaningful, rich way. And, and I'm convinced this is, this is the future of problem solving, the key to problem solving. Because if you try and get kids to solve problems without these, this, this, the mastery and fluency in the basics, I, I think you're wasting your time. Whereas these activities, they get kids practicing the basics, but there's a deep richness in there. And so once you get past the kind of first 10 or, pe- 10 or 15 pages, it is then probably around at least 80 or maybe even 100 absolutely world-class activities that you can just do straight away in the classroom on every subject you can imagine. I think it's key stage one um, up to top-end GCSE, and I just think it's absolutely fantastic. So that's practicing mathematics from the ATM. Okay, and uh, sorry, Martin, uh, another one from you. Yeah, I mean, for me, everyone's sort of talking about game changers. For me, when I um, read about Joe Bowler, Yep. and her mathematical mindsets that for me just changed the way I thought about maths and have recommended so many parents as well because I think that's sort of a, a battle lots of us go up against is trying to get the parents involved and this it just explained it in a way that I could understand the maths brain um, and try and explain to parents as well and how to help them with their children. Okay uh, how about another one from you Ben another mathsy one from you? Um Oh, a mathsy one. Um, I, to be honest, um, I'm reading Craig's at the moment. I've read Yes, But Why. Um, Peps McRae is actually a maths teacher. His uh, memorable, memorable teaching, I read that over half term. Yeah. Um, and you, you could you could literally read that in two days. It's, it's, it's a really, really short book because what he's tried to do is um, take out any fluff um, I would call it. It's, it's literally straight to the point, um, that book. And he has nine principles there um, to sort of make sure that 
our teaching is is memorable um, and how we can leverage those principles in our classroom. So um, he has some mathsy examples in there, but that is for, for every teacher as well, I would say. Okay, right. We're going to hear from somebody else now. Um, another primary school teacher called Laura Tullock. Uh, she's a deputy head at a primary school in the North East on Tyneside. She's also uh, got a role with the uh, Great North Maths Hub. And um, I spoke to her a little earlier on and uh, asked her about a particular book she would like to mention. Hello, Steve. So what book was it that made you take part in the Twitter chat uh, a month or so ago? Um, the book that really... Um I wanted to talk about in the Twitter chat and make people aware of is The Numberverse by Andrew Day. So what's so special about this? Why has that book made an impression on you as a math teacher? Um, it's just it's just a book that's full and full of hidden gems. It, the, the tagline of it is, is how numbers are bursting out of everything and just want to have fun. And what really attracted me to it when um, it was suggested I read it was around the fact that it's around engaging children with numbers. It, in, strategies to get them to become curious about maths and to really enjoy maths. I felt that that was perfect for our school at the the time. Yeah, so is it written to teachers, primary teachers specifically, or any teachers of maths, did you get the impression? It's written to anybody. In fact, it talks about, you know, if you've not really known... known much about maths or if maths has always been a closed book to you, this is a book that you should read. Um, because it'll open you, expand your horizons to seeing where numbers are and how great they are. But it does talk a lot about um, for teachers, and throughout the book it gives lots of tips around um, what to say and what to do, things to do, things to say when so, you're teaching in class. So can you give us an example of somewhere in the book, a bit of a gem which uh, a primary teacher listening to us right now might be able to go to and instantly get something which they might be able to find useful in their classroom? Yeah, the the bit that really resonated for me was um, when you're looking, um, when you pose a a problem to a child and the answer that they come back with doesn't quite match the problem that was posed. So the example it gives is this... um, Two, two missing numbers added together total 10. And the child will give an answer. The question is, how many ways can you fill in the question marks with numbers? So a child finishes their work with five add five. It's the same as 10. But there's obviously more answers that could come from that. They talk about the idea of um, anchoring a problem. And it's a really simple technique that you do. And it, it explains that it's at the heart of the inquiry method. And it really seems so simple, yet really changed the practice that I had because you just repeat the question to the child. So you're not saying to the child, go back and look at this, or you're not telling a child where they've gone wrong. You're simply saying to them, and how many ways can you fill in the question marks with numbers? And you keep repeating that, which allows the child to kind of improve their answer. It also stops other children who might be listening, which happens in classroom, um, thinking, going off on the wrong track if they're hearing you explain where someone's gone wrong they might pick that up as oh I need to do that and I just found that really useful and shared that with all my staff Um, and it was a great way of building independence with children but keeping them on task with problems. So you mentioned you've used it with other teachers have you? You've used this book to help you in your role helping other teachers teach maths? I do yeah I've used it I use it first of all with my staff because it, it came it came to me through um, the Great North Maths Hub. I was involved in a mastery forum, and the work group lead, Richard Brown, recommended that we all read it. In fact, we read it as a bit of a book club, in a way. 
um, and discussed it in our forum. I then shared bits of it with my staff and I use it in my role as mastery lead when I go out and work with head teachers and senior leadership teams and math subject leaders. I suggest that they have a look at it and um, that it might there might be approaches in there that they could use within their school. You're a deputy head of a primary school on Tyneside, aren't you? I am, yes, in North Tyneside. Martin, anything you'd like to add or ask or observe? No, I think, it, yeah, you've really hit the nail on the head, haven't you, where it, you've got practical ideas that teachers, yeah. everyday teachers, want and need that they can just grab it from a book there and then. And, and it's really simple to read. It's a, it's a book that you can dip in and out of. I didn't feel like I had to read very far to get a practical idea. In fact, within the first 30 pages, I think I've got about 15 post-it notes <laughs> to keep me going back to. Post-it notes really? in a real book. That's that's <laughs> great. This is not electronic uh, age we're living in here. We're putting post-it notes in a real book. Uh, great. Notes, yeah. Thank you very much indeed, Laura. Just to repeat, Laura has been recommending The Numberverse by Andrew Day. OK, that was me talking to Laura uh, a few minutes ago. Um, so, guys, uh, on in the studio and on the phone, um, anybody else read The Numberverse, first of all? That's a no. Uh, uh, but it, it underlines the point, doesn't it, that even even somebody like Craig and, and to a lesser extent Ben, who, who've, who've read quite a lot about maths, uh, teaching maths education, there are still other books out there. It makes the point the breadth of, of material of fantastic use to somebody that is out there. So what about the, the books that you can actually hold uh, and take on an aeroplane and put post-it notes in versus electronic? Let's get a quick... Uh, d- ben, you've, d- you've read about seven books since September, all real books or electronic? Um, the first one that I read was uh, Making Every Lesson Count. I, I, I downloaded that and um, read it on my phone. Um, and every book since then, I've, I've bought a hard copy. I just think... Um, I just think it's better to have the hard copy. So, you, like you say, you can you can write notes. I mean, I've got post-it notes sticking out of each one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you can pass it on to somebody else as well more easily, I think, yeah. uh, which is key. We need to share these ideas. Craig? Oh, I'll chuck a little curveball into the mix here. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a fan of both. I'm a fan of both. I like the hard copy and I've got a Kindle as well. But I actually first read uh, Why Don't Students Like School, the Dan Willingham book actually on the audio book and that was my first ever audio book I listened to and I was a big skeptic thinking this is going to be an absolute waste of time this uh, listening to audio book but I, I just did it driving to and from work a little kind of 20 minute segments and then when I got in I would reflect and just kind of make make a few notes and that that was a really really good way for me to to digest that so um, and I think that's what people do with this podcast and with my podcast, kind of CPD on the move. And there are quite a few of the books that we've mentioned which are available on audiobook. And it, it might be a good alternative, especially if you've got a long commute or you're going for walks or doing the dishes or something like that. Yeah. What about you, Martin? Don't, no, I totally back that up. I, that's, I got a present. First one I ever got was an audiobook. And uh, I thought, oh, no, I'm not sure if this is for me. Alex Bellos, uh, Adventures in Numberland, a friend of mine was like, oh, it's a maths book. You'll like this. And yeah, it was brilliant and uh, able to just drive around and listen to it and take it all in rather than having to spend all of that time reading. You yeah. can do it while you're driving. It's a mixed economy, isn't it? And I think we all do a little bit a little bit of everything these days. There's one type of book we haven't mentioned so far is books that have really stood the test of time, hardy annuals, which are probably just as useful now as they were when they were written decades ago. And uh, I spoke to Mary Pardo um, uh, a little while ago, who's got 40 years' experience teaching maths and uh, advising on the teaching of maths uh, with various 
various national roles, writing for pupils and teachers. And she told me about a couple of books which, for her, have really stood the test of time. Well, there are two books that I'd like to talk about um, for two um, different reasons. Firstly, because both of them influenced and helped me tremendously uh, when I was teaching, and also because both of them are very relevant to um, helping pupils develop problem-solving skills and abilities. Which is, of course, uh, important uh, given yes, the, the new GCSE. The GCSE, yes. yes. So which are the books then? Well, one of the books is Starting Points by Banwell Saunders and Tartar, Dick Tartar I worked with, so I knew him, um, which was published in 1972 and in 1986, and I used the 1986 book. And um, the other one is Learning and Doing Mathematics by John Mason. It was originally um, written for Open University students, but um, it's very relevant to teachers, and it helped me, as I said, enormously. Now, these two books are, they are quite different. Um, starting points is definitely and specifically um, stated not intended to be read straight through from start to finish, you know, as a gradually unfolding guide to teaching mathematics, whereas learning and doing mathematics is intended to be worked through rather than read through. John keeps saying, try this now, and unless you do try it now, what follows doesn't have the same import. Starting points helped me because it gave me, through the examples, lots of ideas about ways I could, in particular, start lessons. And also, once lessons were going, how I, the sorts of questions I could ask that would prompt pupils to come up with ideas and be creative. So it's both the process of, of what the pupils would be doing and also my process as a teacher, how I would interact with the pupils. And um, John's book, Learning and Doing Maths, is about the process, you know, the process of specializing, generalizing, making conjectures and so on. So they're both about process, but in slightly different ways. As I say, John's is about the process once you're into the, um, the business of, of trying to get a problem and specifically getting stuck on problems. Whereas starting points is not about getting stuck on problems. It's about situations, how you can set up situations for pupils to work on, and then how you can prompt the pupils to go through the process of asking their own questions and framing their own problems to then try to solve. OK, let's dive into uh, both of them then briefly. Firstly, starting points. Give us a flavour, if you, if you can, with an example well, maybe. Well, I've used a lot of the starting points in there, all varied and all different sorts of ones. But one of them, for example, is called Counting Out. And it's about um, getting pupils, and it, it gives an example of having six pupils sit in a, in a row, on chairs in a row, and then um, chant a counting out rhyme like one potato, two potato, three potatoes, four, uh, any sort of counting out rhyme. And um, every time the rhyme ends, the person who you point, you point to, uh, to a person at each stress of the counting out rhyme, and the last person that you point to then, then um, stands up, and you go on and on until you get to the last person who hasn't stood up, and you note that, 
that number of that person. So you set up this situation so the whole class can see what you're doing. And then you ask a question such as, you say, which number did you start? Which number won? Do you think the same person would have won if one of the other rhymes had been used? And so you go on. If we use the same rhyme but start dipping at a different number, so instead of starting at the first person on the left-hand side, you say you started at the second person, who do you think? So you're getting the pupils to conjecture. And um, they might say, well, it's always four on. It actually is in this example if you've got six people and um, you use one potato, two potatoes, three potatoes, four. Um, what number would win if we started with number four? And then you can go on and get become asking more more questions to get them to begin to generalise. Okay, let, let, let's move yeah. on to the John Mason book, if, if, if we can. Right. Give us a flavour of that one with an example, if you can, please. Well, that book, this book is divided into sections. The first section is about specialising, the second one about generalising, and the third section about specialising and generalising together, and then the fourth one about convincing yourself and others, and then the fifth one is when is an argument valid. But in between those sections, there are interludes which are very good. For example, after the first section, which is on specialising, I'll give an example there of the sort of case where you might say, supposing uh, you, were, you were asked, and this is the sort of thing that does now come into, G I went through all the GCSE um, papers last year, uh, the sort of question you do get, if a number divides the product of some numbers, does it necessarily divide one of those numbers? So that might be a problem that you're given. So, for example, 24 is 8 times 3. Well, 4 goes into 24, which is the product of 8 times 3. Does it go into one of those two numbers that, when multiplied together, also make 24? Well, yes, it does, because it goes into 8. It doesn't go into 3, but it goes into 8. So, yes, you've done one little specialization you specialised once and it works. So you then would go on and specialise again and again until you begin to get a picture of either it do, it is generally true or it isn't generally true. So that that's specialising. And there are lots of examples for um, you as the reader to work through yourself and practice specialising. So you're really getting an idea. Then there's an interlude on conjecturing, which to me is very important because one of the things that... I um, used a lot when I was teaching and certainly when I was an advisor and I was running courses and working with teachers um, was the idea of working in a conjecturing atmosphere. It frees you from the dreadful fear of being wrong because everything you say is taken as a conjecture which could, can be modified by you or by anyone else. And... Um, it, it it just makes the whole working either in a group of teachers or in a classroom much a much more pleasant and much and a much better learning experience. So that was Mary uh, Pardo telling us about some books which have really stood the test of time. So, gentlemen, um, here in the studio and on telephones up north, I'm going to draw things to a close now. Are there any, any books or any types of books or any observations about books which, which you'd you think you'd like to make? Martin, first. Yeah, no, I'd like to throw out that sometimes just not reading a CPD book as well. I'm reading Hidden Figures at the moment, which watched the film and I was like, I need to read the book now. And so it's sometimes you want to read something that's not about teaching as well. Because... 
Because it's still important and still relevant. And inspiring. And yeah, uh, that book especially is inspired. Yeah. If me. you haven't seen the film Hidden Figures, find it Definitely. and watch it. It's fantastic. Uh, Craig? Yeah, well, funny you should say this. Whenever I uh, wrote my book, um, I spoke to Ed Southall, who we mentioned here, and he said, one thing you've got to be aware of here is, is to avoid going on Amazon and, and reading reviews, because it's the <laughs> classic thing every author does. I'm, I'm down to checking about every 15 minutes now, down from uh, two minutes when the book first came out. <laughs> but in preparation for uh, the inevitable criticism that, that the book will get, I started getting into a bit of Stoic philosophy. And I've, I've got this wonderful book. Um, it's called The Daily Stoic by... By Ryan Holiday. And what it is, there's a really short paragraph um, from, um, from Stoicism, and then it's interpretation for every day of the week. And I've just found it, it sounds a bit corny, this, but it's been kind of transformative in my life outside of education and everything, just, just dealing with adversity um, a bit better. And, and there's a kind of general message from, from the Stoics is you can't change what happens to you, but you can change how you respond and react to it. And it's been great for dealing with negative reviews on the book, but great just for relationships and everything else. So, um, yeah, nothing to do with maths whatsoever, but I found that a, a really useful book. Great. Thanks. Ben? Yeah, and when I was thinking about um, what advice I would probably want to give to people um, through the podcast is is this idea of how how do we ensure that we are giving opportunities for time poor teachers to to read or how do we socialize or normalize um, that that reading books on CPD is is a good thing um, so I've just got a couple of um, strategies here that I thought might be a good idea for people to think about yeah go for um, it. the first one is um, uh, for interviews so one of the questions that leaders could ask um, interviewees is is what book are you reading at the moment and then again that sets the stall for the school that um, the culture is that y you expect people to read or you encourage people to read um, books around your subject and teaching um, just a little thing in one of the teaching and learning groups that I'm involved in um, a lady emailed me and at the bottom of her email signature she had um, the title of the book that she was currently reading and a picture um, of the book cover as well and I just thought when you're emailing staff um, about different ideas to have that at the bottom again normalizes it um, in, in our profession um, maybe offering staff um, to buy them a book as part of your uh, CPD um, funding um, so what we've done at our school this year is we've just given them a selection of four with um, sort of a synopsis of what those books are about um, what the text density is because some people like um, not too dense a text and whether it's a chapter by chapter where you can dip in and out or whether it's a cover to cover read great thanks very much well we'll draw things to a close in a moment and i'll say i'll say a proper goodbye and thanks to our contributors in a moment but um if if you haven't already found uh the books that we've spoken about today and indeed the list of all of the books that were mentioned in the twitter chat uh a month or so ago they will be on the show page of this podcast, which you can download via the usual channels, which what sort of phone you have, um, you'll, you'll get that list. And if you if you like us, you can recommend us to other people. And the best way is to subscribe to our podcast, uh, which we arrogant enough to use the hashtag the maths podcast about. So please use that hashtag. I'm very cheeky uh, using that hashtag the maths podcast, given that Craig Barton is on the line. Yeah, I'm not happy about that. No, who, yeah. you you I got think you have to remove that. You got there before us. Important. You got there before <laughs> us, Craig. Yours was the first uh, math specific uh, podcast, which is why we're doing this. So uh, we're always going to be following you. Uh, we aim to do about. 
two podcasts every half term at the NCTM, and we're going to carry on that for this uh, school year. Um, so uh, please keep listening. We've got this is the fifth one, so there are four previous ones. Uh, have a look at those, see whether you're interested in any of those. So thank you to Martin in the studio very much uh, for taking part. Thank you to Craig, Mr. Barton Maths, almost everything he does, you can find that by Googling Mr. Barton Maths, including his podcast, of course. And thanks, Ben. Um, just quickly, you're involved in a, in a, in a, a year five to eight project, aren't you, Ben, in, in Blackpool at the moment? Yeah, I believe it's the largest um SIF project um, of its nature in, in the UK. Um, SIF, you're so gonna we have, are, we're going to have to explain um, that, SIF. We're going to have to explain that, SIF. Secondary School Improvement Fund, I yep, believe yep, it yep. Strategic School Improvement Fund. Strategic yep. School Improvement Fund, yeah. And what, what, um, what, we're, what we're doing is getting a cluster of schools in Blackpool um, and we are trying to develop leadership in maths uh, through MPQML and MPQSL courses. But we're also creating small families of schools um, so that Year 7 and year six teachers um, collaborate more and, and team teach and um, sort of go into each other's classrooms and have a look at what's going on to raise awareness, really, um, and, and try and increase the challenge of year seven, which, which is often a wasted year. And it's been really, really successful and taken well. So you can follow um, our project on Twitter um, through uh, Passion for Maths. And um, in the words passion and maths, the letter A is a four. So it's spelt passion for maths, but the A's are fours. Um, so that would be really good if you followed that on Twitter. Great. OK, well, thanks again, Martin, Craig and Ben. And thank you to Mary and Laura, who helped us early on. And uh, thank you above all to you for listening to the podcast. And we'll be back with another NCTM podcast very soon.